Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Brent Jones. Enjoy. Well, today, I, you know, I just, we're, I, I, you can go ahead and put my title slide up there. Today, I have kind of a, a two-pronged message entitled, What Not to Do. What Not to Do. We're going to talk about two things, actually. We're going to dive into what not to do, but then we're going to actually talk about why we get to talk about that and how we talk about it. How, how do you go into what not to do? How, what gives us the freedom to do that? And we find the freedom to talk about what not to do in this word called discipleship. Don't leave. Some of you have a bad experience with that word. That's okay. We're going to talk through it today. But you know, last week, Pastor Trevor shared so practically about holding belief with an open or closed hand. If you haven't heard, we're, today we're wrapping up a series in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, three little books with a lot to say. But if, if you haven't heard, go back and listen to 1st um, and 2nd John um, and go through the devotions with us together. But today we're wrapping up that series and Pastor Trevor spoke about holding our beliefs, certain beliefs with an open hand and certain beliefs tightly with a closed hand. Our foundational doctrines and theology, uh, we, we hold those tightly right? And then he talked about holding things loosely with an open hand, like our personal preferences or our opinions or our politics or our style or our method, how we like things. We hold that loosely. There's certain things you hold tightly and there's certain things you have an open hand with. You can't be closed handed with everything. You also can't be open handed with everything. But living like this with an open hand or a closed hand on certain things, it, uh, living like this allows us so much freedom to live in peace and harmony with one another. Supporting each other, celebrating each other, our victories, grieving our losses together, growing in faith as the family of God together. The family of God. The family of God. This world has conditioned us to walk around defensively, to walk around kind of bristled all the time and in a defensive position, ready to defend ourselves, ready to say something back to somebody, ready to get in somebody's face if they disagree with us, God forbid. But this, this thing called the church is the family of God. And it's sometimes it, it, it can be hard for us to go from out there to in here. Did you hear what I'm saying? It can be difficult for us to go from out there where it's just like we're constantly bombarded with this and living defensively and individualistically and sticking up for ourselves and exerting our own opinions and our own thoughts and our own everything all the time and then come in here where we're actually supposed to do the opposite. One might argue that we're supposed to, it's supposed to be far easier for us to take in here, out there. But it's hard these days. 
Saying this is one thing, but living like it is a whole other thing. So we talked about open and closed hands last week. The week before, we talked about loving loving one another from our own revelation of the love of God, the agape of God for us. So today, we have a lesson. And like I said earlier, we have a lesson to one guy, which I think might be for many of us. And then I want to talk about how these, they were able to receive this communication, receive this lesson. So basically, we're going to talk about the way of Jesus and then how they were able to communicate and receive the way of Jesus. Can we do that today? Can we just get really practical today? Is that all right? Okay, so we're going to start out by reading the entire chapter. Actually, you guys, we're going to start out by reading the entire book. Okay, it's the shortest book. Don't worry about it. Literally, it's the shortest book in the Bible. All right, let's read. Verse 1 of 3 John. The elder, that's who he is. He's saying, this is me. I'm John the elder. The elder to my dear friend, Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. Verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse five. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church... Verse nine, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greeting. Greet the friends there by name. That's it. Shortest book in the Bible right there. Why is it in there? What is happening here? Why? I mean, I get why we have 1 John. 2 John, I get, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty small, but still it's, the substance is there. But 3 John, I mean, this sounds like 
Um, this, you know, if you just read Third John by itself, I feel like it kind of comes across as, have you, if anybody who's ever been in an office environment knows what I'm talking about, when you send an email and then you send another email and another email and another email, and pretty soon you know those lines down the side and you're like, where is the email? Where did it start? There it is. But if you read the wrong part, you're just kind of lost. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Email after email. That's what's happening here. You see, we get first, second, and third John, but in between first, second, and third John, these letters the, the elder is sending to churches all throughout uh, Asia Minor, what's happening is the believers, you just read about it, he said, I've heard from the believers that you're faithful. What, how has he heard? Letters. You see, there's emails in between these emails. You know what I'm saying? There's letters going back and forth. That's how they were communicating, back and forth. John the elder is hearing from them and then he's writing another letter. He hears from them and then he's writing more letters and he hears from them and he writes another letter. So we don't get to hear what they're writing back to him except what he shares here with us. But this one little passage, the shortest book in the Bible, Old Testament or New, the last of John's three letters to the churches, we heard, you know, in John 2, he specifically addresses the chosen lady, whether a specific woman or the church in general, we don't know, but it could go either way. But then we have John 3, dispatched to this man named Gaius, who John knows and loves, and a church that John knows and loves. These letters are put here together, intentionally, intentionally. So what do we see here in these 15 verses that can apply to us today? Well, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, John is discipling these believers and showing them how to walk in true fellowship with God, actively loving their brothers and sisters in faith. But verse 11 here, he says, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Did you see that? It's this little weird like thing right in the middle. Don't imitate what's evil, imitate what's good. What's he talking about? Well, it's clear he's referring to verse nine and 10, verses nine and 10, this guy Diotrephes and his antics. Diotrephes is the leader of this church or a leader of this church and John has already communicated with him. What we hear here is John's like, hey, I already wrote to this guy. I already sent a letter to Diotrephes and he's, refusing to do what I'm asking. Which, by the way, is to welcome this other guy named Demetrius and his team of itinerant ministers who have voluntarily gone out to preach and teach the gospel and encourage the body of Christ. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But this guy won't have it. And it appears this situation is the driving force behind this letter of 3 John. He says, do not, uh, do not imitate evil. Don't be like this guy. So let's take a look at this lesson from Diotrephes and see what not to do. This is a classic what not to do scenario. In 1 John 9, or 3 John 9, he's, John says, I, look at this, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. Will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So I just kind of, I bolded 
I bolded our lessons here today just to make it simple for us. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes who loves to be first, let's just leave that up there for a second. Diotrephes who loves to be first. I should tell you that the name Diotrephes, I'm not, I, I, you can't make this stuff up. The name Diotrephes in the Greek actually means nurtured by Jupiter or nurtured by Zeus. Certainly not nurtured by God. But somehow this guy, I mean, obviously, regardless of his name, is a leader in the church and the pastor of this church. And he says, hey, I wrote to this guy and he loves to be first and he will not welcome us. You guys, this is not an unbeliever. This is a pastor. And this is John. This isn't some no-name nobody. John is writing to him. So what's our first lesson here? There's just a couple quick points I wanna go over from Diotrephes, what not to do. Number one, don't put yourself first. If we're gonna learn something from Diotrephes and this experience with him, don't put yourself first. Philippians chapter two, verses three through five says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, everybody say humility, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Don't put yourself first. This seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Number two. Number two from this diatrophies. It says he's spreading malicious nonsense. What not to do? Don't spread gossip and lies. Don't spread gossip and lies. This is a list of what not to do. Don't put yourself first. Don't spread gossip and lies. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Proverbs 16 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. That's what a gossip does. That's what malicious nonsense does does. And it has no place in a family. It has no place in the family of God. All right, this one seems equally as clear. Don't put yourself first. Don't spread gossip and lies. Number three, don't be unwelcoming. Don't be unwelcoming, rude or unkind. It says here, he's not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome other believers. He refuses to welcome other believers. He's unwelcoming. Hebrews chapter 13, this flies in the face of everything the gospel is about. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse two. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. First Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You guys, this is pretty clear. First Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Do you see how this guy's behaviors are going counter to the way of Jesus? 
Can you see that how this pastor's attitude and his behaviors are going contrary to the way that Jesus wants the church to be functioning? Can you see it? Do not put yourself first. Do not spread gossip and lies. Do not be unwelcoming. Now, before you say, I'm not rude or unwelcoming. I'm not rude or unwelcoming. Maybe, you know, the, uh, you know I'll try not to gossip. That's cool. I'll try to, but I'm not unwelcoming. I'm not rude. Think for a second. Think for a second about how you might come across to others. I tend to be an introvert. I'm a loud introvert. Those can go together. I'm a loud introvert. And I can get pretty lost in my thoughts really easily. And sometimes it's been said that I could come across rude in a particular situation. This is not my intent at all. But intent doesn't really matter when it comes to this. It's how I came across. So I need to become more aware of that, right? And watch myself and guard the way that I'm coming across because I don't want to even come across as rude. What about online? I have a big red X next to this part of my message that says, don't say these things. It's like one of those emails you type up that you don't intend to send. I'm sending it. What about online? <laughs> Are the things you say online things that you would say to a person's actual face? Or you just let your fingers do the talking? No, I have more things to say. I'm just letting you sit awkwardly for a sec. Are the things that you communicate online, things that you would communicate to somebody if they were sitting at your dining room table? No, I wouldn't have them at my dining room table. Hello. Gotcha. Love is not rude. And sometimes we think of love as, or rudeness as this like, oh, it's, it's the way that I do things. Sometimes rudeness is the way that you don't do things. So I'm gonna ask again, are the things that we say online, things that we would actually say to a person's actual face if they were sitting in our actual living room, how are we treating those with different perspectives than you in cyberspace? Okay, I'm done poking that bear. You can relax a second. How are we treating others? Okay, so we've got our list going here. Don't put yourself first. Don't spread gossip and lies. Don't be unwelcoming. You guys are like, this is a real downer. Don't try to control others. Don't try to control others. Now, before you say, I don't try to control others. <laughs> of course you don't. 
See, not only is this guy rude and not welcoming to this group that's coming in, he also does not allow others in the church to welcome them and throws them out if they do. You guys, this is a crisis. This is a problem. In some sort of leadership flex, he's controlling the fellowship of the church for his own gain, for his own preferences, for his own ambitions, to the point of kicking people out of the house. I don't have to say anything about this. I can just look at the the Bible. In James chapter three, it says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The humility that comes from wisdom. Leaders should be filled with wisdom. And if they're filled with wisdom... the humility that comes with it should be evident. Colossians chapter three, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. See, sometimes I think when we're doing things in church, we just are like, oh, this is, I like this. I don't like this. This is my preference. I don't like that. This is my method. And we forget, actually, that this is actually God's thing happening here. Back to Philippians again. We just read this about the other point. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, what we were saying earlier is, this is the way of Jesus. And John is saying here, hey guys, this is the way of Jesus. And this particular church, this particular leader, this particular situation is going against the way of Jesus. He's discipling them. You see, nothing in these three verses says control others and force them to do what you want to do or get rid of them. It's not in the book. Then why is it in the family of God? The body of Christ struggles with this. I've seen it. I've experienced it. Attempts to control others and regulate things so that things are the way that we want them, right? What about the way God wants them? In a family, we prefer each other. We welcome everyone. Closed-handed on the things that matter to God, open-handed on the things that don't. And control is not part of that equation. Control is not part of the equation. Third John is a whole situation in the church, an interaction between leaders and brothers and sisters in Christ. And we talked a few weeks ago about agape and John's use of the word beloved. And the language of third John is very similar. And he uses words like children, friend, friends, brothers and sisters. John uses relationship words in this passage. He uses relationship words. He uses relationship terms because 
In a relationship, you can say the things that need to be said. John confronts hard stuff in this little letter, and he does so because he has a relationship with these people. And with each of these letters, he is discipling them a little bit. And this one a lot of it. John knew exactly what discipleship was. He had a front row seat for it as a member of the inaugural class of disciples. Not only was he one of the 12, one of the founders, one of the disciples, he was also recognized as this very close group of three within that group of 12 that was specifically close to the Lord. He had been personally discipled and trained by Jesus and then went on to care for churches and help carry the gospel all over Asia Minor. And we see from his letters that he is a true discipler of people. He cares about people. Now around here, we, decide, we, we define discipleship as maturing in the way of Jesus. And that can be done through a series of steps, but steps alone don't produce disciples. Relationship does. Like I said earlier, we had an amazing night at Wednesday Night Alive this last week with groups and classes. But groups and classes are not enough to be a disciple. It takes relationship. Groups and classes are meant to be the place where relationship can start to form so that true discipleship can actually happen. Discipleship takes place in relationship. You can write that down. Discipleship takes place in relationship. That's where it happens. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, then you have to be in relationship, not just with Jesus. Discipleship takes place in the family of God with people in relationship. Proverbs uh, chapter 27 says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. It does not say iron sharpens iron as God sharpens you. Hello? It says iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another as one person sharpens somebody else. You see, you have to bump up against each other and be in relationship with each other. You have to be around each other and in communication with each other. Otherwise, discipleship is happening. Oh, I'm discipled by that guy online. No, you're not. You can listen to their messages, but you're not being discipled by them. No, I read their books. Great. You're not being discipled by them. Oh no, yeah, I really got something really good out of that. No, because they can't confront your life. If you're being discipled by somebody, they can confront something in your life. You know, many claim that COVID broke how people get connected in the body of Christ, but... What if it just exposed the hard reality of how things already were? That people were already not connecting. COVID just gave us an easy way to slide out. Discipleship through relationship isn't a popular message. We actually really refrain from using the term discipleship a lot anymore because it's been abused and misunderstood we have discipleship schools 
and discipleship classes. And there's nothing wrong with those, but they are not necessarily discipling people. Discipleship through relationship isn't a popular message because it raises the bar on us from just attending church, singing the songs, making a few notes on the message and leaving to investing in relationships with each other in the family of God. Sticking around when things get hard between us. Investing in each other when it's painful to do so. Remember John's language, children, friends, friend, brothers, sisters, relationship words. Relationship words. We're almost done, I promise. <laughs> but you know, he also says to them, I have so much to write to you, but I wanna say it face to face. I have so much that I want to write to you, but I want to say it face to face. This, he's, he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's not just calling him, hey friend, hey brother, hey sister, morning, how are you? Great, great week. No, he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's like, I have more to say to you, but I don't just want to say it with paper and pen. I don't just want to be like, hey girl. I want to say it face to face. I want to sit down with you and I want to be there. We're missing that element in the family of God today where we are just face to face, where we can just say, hey, how are you actually doing? See, John wanted to come there because he'd written the letters. The letters had been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He's like, you know what? I have a lot more I want to say here, but actually I'm just going to come there. I'm just going to be there. We're missing the element of face-to-face -face in the body of Christ. And it's time for us, our generation, to begin to restore that. Our generation being this group sitting in this room right now. You know, when God speaks to a generation, he's speaking to whoever is alive right then. Did you know that? He's saying, hey, this generation, when he speaks something over a generation, it's over the people that are living right now. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. Here in this room today, I'm calling this generation who is in this room right now to begin to restore that face-to-face -face relationship in the body of Christ again. It's scary. It can be sketchy. They might not like you. I read something recently uh, from uh, Dr. John Deloney that talks about pushing through the awkwardness to begin relationships. Pushing through the awkwardness to begin a relationship with somebody. Push through the awkwardness because there is gonna be awkwardness. I wanna just give you the excuse today to say, hey, well, Brent said to, so let's do this. That, then you don't have to be awkward because I'm telling them to as well. Look around this room right now, go ahead. Look around. Some of you are like, eyes on me only. No, no, no. <laughs> Don't worry, we're not gonna do some weird exercise. Just look around. Just look around. Okay, now this week, no, I'm just kidding. Look around. There are all kinds of studies in families that talk about family dinner. Did you know that? 
There are, there are studies and cultures that talk about family dinner. Because at family dinner, you all sit, you let your guard down, hopefully, if the chicken's good. You let your guard down. You let your guard down and you look each other in the eyes, face to face. And after a few minutes, you can actually start to talk. Maybe you haven't seen each other all week. Uh, how it happens in our family is it's like, you know, every, like we don't see each other or like one of each other for like out of the seven of us for like six days. And then on one day we'll have family dinner, all look each other in the face. That's when you get to actually connect and see how everybody is. But there's actual, there's actual studies that talk about how important it is to connect with your family and look them in the eye a minimum of once a week, all together. John is saying, hey, I have a lot to say to you, but I don't want to write it. I just want to say it face to face. Give yourself the excuse. I'm giving it to you right now to connect with someone in relationship. Begin, push through the awkwardness to connect with somebody in relationship. We can attend church really well. We can have really cool songs, really good worship, hear a fun message, have good ministry time at the end because you don't need relationship for any of that. But that's not church. That's just our gathering. Without relationship, we can't say the things that sometimes need to be said. And church, um, there's some things that need to be said. Do you ever, in, you're ever in, uh, have a friend that, you, you know, you just know you have to say something and it's making you kind of nervous to say it and finally you just like sit down and like, okay, we got to talk about this. That's kind of like, that's what's going on in the family of God right now. Not, not, I'm not talking about Vineyard Boise. I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole, but let's apply it here. Let's say we have important things to talk about. How can we do it without relationship? Like what John says to this church here, often we want, to have, we, we want to say difficult words or prophetic words or words of instruction or correction, and we don't understand why they fall on deaf ears or are ineffective because we aren't living in relationship with, with each other in the family. Often we need to hear difficult things, but we can't because we're not in relationship with anybody who can actually tell us this stuff. I'm not trying to make more out of third John than we need to but we need to. <laughs> I'm simply pointing out that the statements and instructions that John gives here, these really sharp, this one paragraph where he's like, he's not doing this, he's not doing this, he's doing this, and he's doing this. Now hear me, John had already talked to him about it. Now he's talking to everybody about it. He's like, this is not how we behave. He's discipling. It was only possible, only possible when you're in relationship with each other. If you're a disciple of the way of Jesus, is there someone who can say hard things to you? If you aren't in a relationship with those yet around you, are you headed that direction? If you've been a disciple, a disciple of the way of Jesus for any length of time, are you leading anybody or setting an example for anybody or helping with their faith journey? And dads, before you say my kids, and that's good, and that's where you start. It goes outside that too. 
That's how you disciple your kids. When they see you in a discipleship relationship with somebody else. This is what got me thinking about it. This one verse, John says in verse four of this little book, he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Who's he talking about? This, that church there in Ephesus or wherever it was. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. In other words, I've heard back and I've heard, uh, Gaius, that you're doing the right thing and I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Do you want to experience some serious joy this side of heaven? Impart your faith into another person. Make a disciple. Make disciples. Pour into somebody else. Help raise up somebody in, the, in their faith. Do you want to experience the greatest joy this side of heaven? Then pour into somebody else and see them walk it out. It, is, it will light you up. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. When you hear that they're doing it right, you're like, yeah, man, keep going. We're called to go love people. That's what this whole series is called. Go love people, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We're called to go love people. To welcome more people into the family of God. To be hospitable and kind. To put others first. I just want to tell you, this church is growing. This church Vineyard Boise is growing and it's going to continue to grow. And I believe this is going to be a huge year for growth here at Vineyard Boise. For us, to, for us uh, as people to see and experience the love of God and for people to experience the love of God through us to them. We're going to see people respond to the gospel like we've never seen before. And who's going to disciple them? Who's going to step up and pray for someone and meet them and text them and call them and encourage them in their newfound faith in Christ? I love our ministries and our outreaches. Man, they are doing incredible things. I heard uh, today that the, the pantry this weekend served 188 families. I love, love, love what they're doing. What we're doing through this outreach is outstanding. They're amazing and necessary, and I'm so thankful for each of them. But loving people might start with a trunk load of food. It might start with a coat or shoes. It might start with an invite to church. That's where it might start. But loving people is letting them into our life and becoming a part of theirs. Coming alongside new parents and supporting them. Coming alongside parents of teenagers What's up, guys? <laughs> Coming alongside. Walking with somebody through grief or loss. Opening your home or your dinner table. This is love. This is discipleship. See, it can begin in our ministries. It can begin in our classes. It can begin in our groups. But if it doesn't leave our ministries, our outreaches, our classes and our groups, then we're not completing the mission you see, the mission is out of, out of Matthew chapter 27 is to go, therefore, and make disciples. 
We go love people into discipleship. We go love people by coming alongside of them, pouring out into their lives, our faith, our experience. You're like, I don't have any experience. I bet you're a step or two ahead of somebody else. I bet you're a step or two down the road from uh, ahead of somebody. If not, then find somebody to pour into you. It'll lead there. It'll lead there. Ministries don't disciple people, people do. Let's stand together. I hope what you hear me saying today is that we're doing a great job with outreach. We're doing a great job with our classes and our groups and our ministries. They're going awesome. It's time for us to begin to see the fruit of discipleship in the family of God. I told you earlier that we were gonna talk about, you know, these four points about what not to do and then talk about how John even had the right to do it, to talk to them this way. He has the right to talk to them this way because he has relationship with them. Let's just close our eyes right now as we stand here before God. And let's decide today as people are only getting more isolated and independent, we're gonna lean into relationships. As our world is only getting more exclusionary and divisive, we will welcome and include and give. As our world is becoming hard and solitary that we would let the Holy Spirit do a work of our, in our hearts and give us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm just bouncing around out in the, in the world and in our culture, my heart's pretty hard to all of that. It's like, man, I'll, I'll connect with somebody, but man, it's gonna have to just be directed by you, Holy Spirit. You're gonna have to just like put a sign over them that's like, hey, talk to this guy today. Because other than that, man, I don't want it. My heart's gotten a little hard in this area. I don't know about you. But what if we did a Holy Spirit exchange today of a heart that's hard toward others like diatrophies that we're just like, man, I don't want them here. We don't need that here. This church is big enough. What if we had to, I don't know, my group's fine. But what if we opened up the door of hospitality and loved somebody to Jesus? What if we opened the door to our lives and took somebody's phone number and actually texted them back this week? Encouragement, faith, when they fail, we love them. When they fail us again, we love them. When they don't show up, we love them. And then we go knock on their door and love them more. What if we pursued people like we ourselves have been pursued? What if we used the excellent 
ministries, outreaches, classes, and groups that we have going on, what if we used those as a springboard into relationship with each other? What if, what if we loved each other in discipleship together? So, today, I want to encourage you to get into relationship with the family of God and welcome others into the family of God. Get into relationship in the family of God and welcome others into relationship in the family of God. So it's right now all over this room Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us? Give us next steps. What do we need to do? Speak to me. Speak to every woman and man in this building. Every child, every teen. Lord, from the youngest to the oldest, speak to us about this discipleship thing, about this relationship Call us, God, above and beyond our outreaches, our ministries, our classes, and our groups to relationship. Draw us. Lord, if we've been hanging around the fringe, around the edge, Lord, would you just draw us in? If we see somebody hanging around the fringe and around the edge, give us the grace to reach out and pull them in. If we see somebody that we can encourage in their faith and get to know better and love on them, show us and give us the grace to walk it out. Give us the grace to restore relationships that have faltered and failed or just have stalled. Give us the grace to go back and say, hey, I'm sorry about that. Holy Spirit, come. Give us the grace to live in relationship, to live in discipleship, to see your kingdom come, your will be done right here as it is in heaven. relationships now that would stretch into eternity. God, we submit our hearts to you. We submit our ways to you. Come Holy Spirit and have your way. Let your heart be drawn by the Holy Spirit into a new season of relationship in the family of God.
respond to you. We respond to your grace and your goodness right here in this room. We respond to your encouragement, God, today from your word. We say yes, God, to relationship. We, we say yes to leaning in to new relationships and old. And just ask that your grace would just rest on us. As we pursue all of the good things you have in relationships in the body of Christ and the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. There are some words for prayer and, and we're, we're done in here this morning, but except for ministry, God still wants to move on some people. And so there's a few words for prayer. And if you need to respond to these, I wanna encourage you just to come right up to the front or just, just sit where you are with your hand raised if you need prayer. But expect God to move mountains in your life was one word that was heard this morning. And God is drawing you closer, step into Him. And physical healing in your lower back and legs. If this is something that you need today, come on up, we wanna pray for you and see God do a work in your life today. God bless you, let's go make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.